Okay, so I want to ask you, have you noticed that it's getting darker? Uh-huh. It is such a downer that it's getting darker. You know, just six weeks ago in July, at 6.15, the birds were singing, and I could, I could see each one of them on the bird feeders. Now, Doug and I have our coffee by 6.15. We're looking out, and it's pitch dark. And it stays dark now till 7. And then it gets dark so much earlier. We were just playing outside in July till 9.30 at night and watching the fireflies come out. Now, it's like... Close everything up. It's 8 o'clock, you know, and darkness is coming. Well, I don't like physical darkness, but much sadder than that is the spiritual darkness. Have you seen the spiritual darkness growing, class? This is in our America. We are seeing such spiritual darkness take over. Uh, Laws are being passed that make right wrong and wrong right. There is just a rampant display of, of um, lawlessness, of buckets of water being thrown on our policemen, of the arrogance in sin and the, the immorality that's as common as breathing now. It's literally everywhere. It's the darkness spiritually that... Even 10 years ago, we didn't deal with, and it seems to be like that snowball that's rolling down the hill. Why is it so dark spiritually? I want you to listen to this, and you have to put your thinking caps on, okay? Why is it so dark in America today in 2019? Professor, professor at a university challenged the students with this question. Did, did God create everything that exists? A student answered bravely, yes, he did. The professor then asked, if God created everything, then he created evil, since evil exists, as noticed by our own actions, so God is evil. The student couldn't respond to that statement, causing the professor to conclude that he had proved that belief in God was a fairy tale and therefore worthless. Another student raised his hand and asked the professor, may I pose a question? Of course, answered the professor. The young student stood up and asked, Professor, does cold exist? The professor answered, what kind of question is that? Of course cold exists. Haven't you ever been cold? The young student answered, in fact, sir, cold does not exist. According to the law of physics, what we consider cold, in fact, is the absence of heat. Anything is able to be studied as long as it transmits energy, heat. Absolute zero is the total absence of heat, but cold does not exist. What we have done is create a term to describe how we feel if we don't have body heat or we are not hot. And does dark exist, he continued. The professor answered, well, of course. This time the student responded, well, again, sir, you are wrong. Darkness does not exist. Darkness is, in fact, simply the absence of Light can be studied. Darkness cannot. Darkness cannot be broken down. A simple ray of light tears the darkness and illuminates the surface where the light beam finishes. Dark is a term that we humans have created to describe what happens when there is a lack of light. Finally, the student asked the professor, Sir, does evil exist? The professor replied, Of course 
as I mentioned at the beginning, we see violations, we see crimes everywhere in this world, and those things are evil. The student responded, sir, evil does not exist. Just as in the previous case, evil is a term which man has created to describe the result of the absence of God's presence in the hearts of man. After this, the professor didn't answer back. The young man's name was Albert Einstein. Yeah, the genius of physics. And did that make simplistic explanation of why our America is becoming so dark? Now, I'm not gloom and doom because the word of God is all hope. And he has called us to be children of light, and I can't wait to get into this on how we can pierce the darkness around us every day in every moment because of who we are. But turn to your Bibles to 1 John 1.5. 1 John 1.5. And whoever has that, would you read that for me? 1 John 1.5. To which we say, Amen. Now tell the lady next to you, your light. Tell her. (laughs) And we're not talking weight, we're talking wattage. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Okay, Trina, would you look up 1 John 1, 5? Oh, I'm sorry, Ephesians 5, 8. Ephesians 5, 8. And then Cindy, would you look up John 8, 12? Walk in children as children of light. And Cindy, uh, John eight twelve. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Okay, now follow this verse. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He has made us light as born again children of God. Now, why is it so dark in America, girls? Is it because of Hollywood? Is it because of wickedness? Is it because of lawlessness? Is it because of politics? No. Got to read that verse again for me. If you walk in the light as he is in the light. Oh, that's the other one. Um, John 8, 12. Yeah. Okay. Here's the answer. Why is it so dark? We aren't walking with him. The whole crux of our summer lessons about walking with God, inviting him into our moments, not getting used to the dark, but instead invading that darkness with the light that we are called to be. If you walk with him, you walk in the light. Why has our America become so dark, girls? It goes back to that Old Testament verse. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, I will heal their land. So, girls, there's a great privilege of being light, but there's also this responsibility to be light, to not get used to walking in the darkness, to, to, to not be darkness. And we're going to talk about how we slip back into that all the time, and then, and then everything else accelerates the darkness. But I want to talk to you about dark for a minute. Clint does not like darkness. Clint uh, 
bless his little heart, Clint is afraid of the dark. And um, he had a period of 20 years in between where he really wasn't, but the beginning of his life, and now we've seen this accelerate the last couple years, he's become much more fearful. And he is afraid of the dark, but he has two night lights that he sleeps with all of the time. And then as a great backup plan, just in case he has a flashlight on his nightstand right beside him, and uh, that's his backup plan. Well, years ago, it was about 1 in the morning, Clint walks into our bedroom, and he stands by the side of the bed, and he says, Father, my light doesn't work. And Doug responds, Clint, it's okay. You've got the other night light, and we're right here. You don't have to be afraid. Quiet for a second. Father, my light doesn't work. <laughs> don't you love the simplicity of the problem is the problem is the problem. I don't need, <laughs> I don't need all this other extra rhetoric, you know. Clint, Clint, you're fine. Father, my light doesn't work. Doug gets out of bed, gets in the linen closet, rummages through, gets another nightlight, screws it in, puts it in, everything's fine. Clint's asleep. Hour later, Clint comes into the bedroom. Father, my other light doesn't work. <laughs> Doug says, Clint, it's okay. You've got one nightlight on. Father, my light doesn't work. This time I get out of bed. I go to the linen closet. I'm rummaging through, but there are no more little night lights. So I walk back in with Clint, and I said, Clint, here's our backup plan. We'll turn your flashlight on and face it straight up, and it's a bright beam. Now everything will be fine. Go to bed, Clint. Go to sleep. You've got light. He, went, he got back in bed, pulled up the covers, kissed him goodnight. The light was on. The flashlight was on for 30 minutes, and it went out. <laughs> it, was a, it was a long night. The point of the amusing story in Clint is this. Oh, that we would be that bothered when our light goes out, when our light becomes dim, and that we would stand at the throne of grace and say, Father... My light doesn't work. My light's not working. And stay there until we get it right. Ye are the light of the world. What puts out my light? Okay, 1 John 1, 5, going back to that. And this is the message which we have heard of him and declared to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now, it goes on to say, if we say we have fellowship with him, and walk in darkness, hmm, there lies my problem. My light gets dim, my light goes out, my testimony is shadowy. Why? I say I'm a Christian, I say I'm saved, I say I'm born again, I even go to church, I even teach Sunday school. And yet, my light is dim. What puts out our light? What dims our light? As girls, as ladies, what, what are some things that put out your testimony? You tell me. Unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is a huge one. And you know what? We get used to carrying it. goes back to Jesus saying, exchange that yoke, because my yoke is easy. You want rest in your labor? Get rid of that unforgiveness. 
Um, next time we meet together, I have, I've been writing on this lesson on forgiveness because we're going into the holiday season. And nothing hurts worse than relatives and family and unforgiveness in the holiday season. Little offenses and bitterness and situations in which you're going to be together and our, the light is not there, but the bitterness and the old offenses are. And it's so good. Um, so in, as the Lord tarries, the next time we meet, I have something so good I'm excited about sharing with you and giving to you that we all need to put into practice. But unforgiveness is a big thing that puts, puts our light out. I have often said, and I, I do believe this is a truth, sadly so, I believe Christians send more people to hell than any vice the devil has. It's a tragedy. Our lives should be so vibrant and so Christ-like and so forgiving and so ready to edify and so ready to lift up the fallen that people would say, what's different? What does she have? I need it. Our children should be so thrilled with the fact that at home they find a place of peace and a place of fun and a place of rest and a place of acceptance and a place of, yes, we make mistakes, but I'm not going to live unto my mistakes. I'm going to live unto the potential that God has made me to be. And mom and wife and sister and aunt and grandma, we need to be those cheerleaders of God's ways, starting at home. So often we give all those sweet Christ-like amenities to everybody else but our families. And we seem to come in and say, well, I'm at home now. It's time to relax. And we take off our coat, and with it we take off our kindness, and we take off our politeness, and we take off our grace because I'm home to relax. And nothing could be further than the truth, but that's what the devil persuades, to destroy the home with Christ-likeness. The light goes out. <laughs> we should be standing there like Clint saying, Father, my light's not working, and it's not working in the, in the most important place, my home, my home. So, yes, that's, what else puts our light out? What else? What? Negativity. God's word says the tongue has the power of life or death. To think that we carry that power around us every day. And here we have this wonderful opportunity to, how many of you work in a workplace where every, you don't have to raise your hand, but where everybody is, is um, negative or complaining? Or you have family members that you are with often and they're always negative and complaining. Okay, this is the most important privilege and opportunity for light to show up. When does light really show up? In the dark. Okay, that God's saying, child, don't get discouraged that you're in this environment. Ye are the, tell me, light of the world. Light of the world. And so, so then the next question comes as we identify those areas of darkness and what puts out our light because we get so affected by darkness and God says, no, I created you to be light to affect the darkness, not the other way around. But it's got to be, and we're going to get into a three-point solution um, at the end of class. It's got to be an on-purpose choice. It's got to be an on-purpose. I will be like Clint, and I will stand by my father, and I say, this has put my light out. I need it fixed. Okay? So um, there are so many things that dull 
our light. If we say that we have fellowship with him, I'm God's child, and walk in darkness, oh, John gets really clear here. You know what he says? We lie. We lie. And we're so good at lying to ourselves. You remember the joke I told you last week about the lady who went into the doctors and was asked how much she weighed, and, and then they put her on the scale, and it wasn't that at all. And then she was asked how tall she was, and she gave a number much taller than her height. And then they measured her, and she was really short. And then they said, how do you feel? And she said, well, how do you expect? I come in feeling like Snow White, and I leave like one of the dwarfs, you know? So <laughs> because we get so used to lying to ourselves, we believe the lie. It started at the beginning in the Garden of Eden. So John is saying... <laughs> Check your light out. If you say, if I say I'm in the light and I have fellowship with him, but I'm not walking in the light, I lie and the truth is not in me. So, did we do Matthew 5? Matthew 5, 13 and 14 and 16. Let's see. Matthew 5, 13 and 14 and 16. Amen. We are not only light, we are salt. Now, in this season that we are entering, this fall season where it is getting darker, there are some wonderful benefits. Not only do I love the bodacious colors of fall, but I love the taste of fall. There's something that happens in the fall more than any other time of the year. We pop popcorn. We make popcorn. There's caramel corn. There's, you all had your different varieties. of. You got your little bag of popcorn to take home with you. I want you to take that this afternoon and say right out loud, I'm the salt of the earth. I'm the salt of the earth. Now, at the ladies' retreat, and I hope you can get to the ladies' retreat this year, it's, Debbie Pride is the speaker. She's phenomenal. But at, at ladies' retreat, at funny time, do you know what they do? They pop popcorn. And at the end of the service, all of a sudden, you know, your senses start perking up because they're popping popcorn in the basement and that wonderful aroma starts to spread through all of the church, uh, the auditorium there, and everybody goes, I love that smell. Popcorn says what? Let's party. That's what popcorn <laughs> says. Popcorn says it's time to get together. It's time to have fun. That's what popcorn says. And so when you pop popcorn and you hear that sound and you hit that, that aroma hits your, your nose sensor, and all of a sudden, the melted butter is getting drizzled on top, and you shake it. You're just grabbing for the biggest bowl you can find. Now, if the salt has lost its savor, as wonderful as it is to smell freshly popped popcorn, old popcorn gives off such a stench, okay? Day old, two a. How many of you have opened up the oven door and somebody's put the old bowl of popcorn in the oven instead of throwing it out? It happens at my home. 
oh, you open that door and it about knocks you over. It's like dirty socks. <laughs> and, I th- and the butter, the butter that once was so tasty, the salted butter, now has congealed and the popcorn is what? Soggy and tough. You try eating that now and you're going to go to the dentist. <laughs> it's awful. The whole point is, girls, we are called to have a fresh popped faith every day. When our faith gets old, it stinks. It stinks, and we lose our light. How does our faith get old? I'm glad you asked because I'm going to tell you. This is it. Our faith gets old when, well, I'm going to, um, well, first of all, there's an alternate verse here, Galatians 4.19. Paul is burdened with Christians whose light was dim, their testimony stunk. The, um, the ramifications of a testimony that stinks is this, fighting, fussing, feuding, comparing, anger, fault-finding, and going back to worldly ways. There it is right there. Those are all, that's what shows up when I am living with an old faith. And James goes on and he says, good grief, what happened? What happened to your faith? Your faith is dead. Now, he's not talking about salvation. He's talking about our living faith. He says, look at you. You're living a lie. You're not light. You're not salt. Your faith is dead. It's not working. It's not working in America, girls. Christian faith is not working in America. Why? Well, the reason we're getting darker and darker is because we're living with a form of religion. We're living with a recipe of Christianity. Oh, I can add a little church once in a while, and I don't do that, and I don't go there, and we relegate our faith to a list of rules that basically is on the same rung as what the world is living. There's no form of godliness, and of course, when there's no true godliness, there's no power, there's no usage, there's no light, there's no flavor. I'm going to illustrate it with myself. For years, I was a nominal cook. Uh, I'm thinking of Julie right now because she always says she can't cook. <laughs> I just flitted into my head one time. We were talking about cooking and baking, and I'm sure she can. But I think you had brought store-bought cookies one time to something, and you said, oh, Kathy, I just can't cook. I've, I've been there. I'm, I lived there. I was just... I wasn't, I was a nice cook. I wasn't good. I wasn't bad. Um, It was just nice. Now, I personally don't like the word nice. (laughs) Never have. You know, my husband used to tell me, oh, you look nice. Don't tell me I look nice. Tell me I look good or tell me I look bad, but do not tell me I look nice. Nice is is, um, not worth the breath it takes to say it. It's not right. It's not wrong. It's not good. It's not bad. It just drifts between the two. Nice is an easy place to live. No challenge, no criticism, no direction, no drive. It's so easy, and therein lies the devil's entrapment to our faith, to us living a nice faith. We're caught in a web of nice living in America. We have nice churches and nice schools filled with nice Christians making no impact 
No influence, no difference, because there is no difference. And it's tragedy, and our America is getting dark because of it. And perhaps I personally have such an angst with the word nice because I have personally looked back at times in my life where I know I just settled for living nice. Now, I've asked the Lord to forgive me, and he graciously has, but it became my prayer, God, forgive me. And I want to go way beyond that nice to a fervent faith. I want my faith to make a difference today. I want my faith to penetrate the darkness that I deal with every day. I want my faith to be flavorful. You tell me to, oh, taste and see. And this was a few decades ago when I was just really getting a taste of God's goodness in my life. I said, it makes such a difference. It makes all the difference. I'm not living by a list of do this and don't do that. Lord, I, I'm falling in love with you. And that's not a recipe. Well, getting back to my cooking, because there is a point to this, apart from my personal angst with the word nice. My cooking stayed nice for so long because I followed a recipe exactly. E-X-A-C-T-L-Y. My family loved spaghetti dinners. We had it once a week, and I had a very good recipe, and I followed it exactly. One day, horror of horrors, I lost the recipe. And it meant I had to taste the spaghetti as I was making it. I went, oh, now it's a good thing I didn't live in today's world because I probably would have just Googled or Pinterest up another recipe. <laughs> but I couldn't back then. So for the first time, I started tasting as I cooked. I got the spices out that I always used. I put a little oregano in my hand, and I put my tongue to my hand, and went, so this is what oregano tastes like. I took the basil leaf, and I smelled it, and I bit into it. This is what basil is. And I started tasting and stirring, and I stood over that pot, and I added all my normal ingredients, and I tasted it. Now, when you taste the tomatoes that are cooking and cooking down, whether they're from a can or for them are fresh, you're going to taste sometimes almost a tinny taste. Do you know what I'm talking about? Well, sugar added to that. Now, sugar, I didn't know what sugar tasted like. <laughs> you have to add a little bit of sugar to the tomatoes to get rid of that tinny taste. But then to counteract the sweetness, what do you have to add? Salt. You have to add your salt. And then to give it a little bit of a bite, what do you put in? Pepper. And then to give it a little bit more of a bite, what do you put in? Red pepper flakes. And you keep stirring and cooking, and these flavors start mixing together and slowly bubbling. And the meatballs are in there giving off their flavor. And I'm going, this is so good. <laughs> and I served spaghetti up that night, and my family just raved about it. Mom, this just, I, we love your spaghetti. Doug said, honey, I want you to make it just like this next week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Horror again gripped my heart, and I'm so glad it did because I had to go through the whole process all over again. And it took me from being a nice cook 
to a much better, a really good cook because I was tasting and seeing what I was serving. And the point of our Christianity and our faith is exactly that. When I have relegated my faith to a list of rules or to a form that I keep, and I've not tasted and seen the wonderful power of the Holy Spirit and experienced that God is good, and I don't add his ingredients to those moments that come up and hit me, then I just live flat. My light goes out, and I look around, and I say, well, everybody else lives that way. I'm living better than they are. And we go to this comparative living scale that does nothing to penetrate the darkness in our world and the world that so desperately needs to find Christ. So God wants to move us out of our nice level form, and he challenges us with, oh, taste and see. I've got ingredients for you to add. You've got to taste them. It comes down to obedience. And if I've just... If I just settle for that nice, I tell you, we lost a generation of kids back in the 70s and 80s because parents, good American parents, settled for rearing good kids, not godly kids, and we lost it. A list of rules. A list of rules. A young ensign had nearly completed his first overseas tour of sea duty when he was given an opportunity to display his ability at getting the ship underway. And with a stream of crisp commands, he had the decks buzzing with men, and soon the ship had left port and was steaming out of the channel. The ensign's efficiency had been remarkable. In fact, the deck was abuzz with the talk that he had set a new record for getting the destroyer underway. The ensign glowed with the accomplishment and was not at all surprised when another seaman approached him with a message from the captain. <clears throat> he was, however, a bit surprised to find out it was a radio message. He was even more surprised when he read, <clears throat> My personal congratulations upon completing your underway preparation exercise according to the book and with amazing speed. In your haste, however, you have overlooked one unwritten rule. Make sure the captain is aboard before getting <laughs> underway. God's wonderful manual for life. His instruction book is imperative. We must know it. But dear girls, we must never become so bound by rules that we forget the author of it. The whole point of his instruction to you and me, Peggy, is so that we get to know him. It's his love letter to us. And he says, this is what's going to build our love. This is what's going to make our love. This is what's going to make your light so shine. People in love shine. They literally do. It's so much fun to watch girls get engaged and girls get married. They glow with it. And then they glow with life when they become pregnant. There literally is. Now, I never glowed. I do have to say that. I never <laughs> glowed. But with most, there is a beautiful glow when you carry life inside. It is the essence of life. Peggy's the new grandma. She's rejoicing in new life. It brings a glow. And God says, child, do this with me. Taste me. All right, let's get into some practical ways. Very begin. How and where do I begin? <clears throat> Number one, we must pray for it. Because, girls, we get used to nice living because we live in America. And it's so easy. 
we get used to living in nice America and being a nice person and doing what is required for the recipe of Christianity, and that's the trap. I must pray, dear Lord, I want a vibrant faith today, a tasty faith. Now, understand, it's not me working harder. It's God working in and through me. It's not me doing more. It's God doing his more in me as I submit my day and all the moments to him. It's his power in me. It's not Kathy trying to do better. It's God doing what only God can do as Kathy submits herself to an all-powerful God. I love the verses in Isaiah. I'm trying to rememorize them. It's where he stretched out the heavens and he spread forth the earth and he gives the spirit, his spirit, unto man and breath. Our next breath comes from him. So it's, it's talking about the majesty of God, which I, I just, I love dwelling on that. And then you know how that section ends? I think it's Isaiah 45. And I will hold thine hand. It's all-powerful, magnificent, glorious God. Vows to hold my hand. That's our God, girls. That's who makes us light. And it's his power. True story of Lawrence of Arabia. He participated in the Paris peace talks after World War I. Several Arab leaders came to him came with him to Paris and stayed in the same hotel, a modern facility unlike anything they'd ever seen. When they went into the bathrooms, they were astounded by the seemingly unlimited supply of water that would flow into the bathtub or sink by merely turning on the faucet handles. They were so enamored that when they were preparing to leave Paris, they physically removed the faucet fixtures from the plumbing and packed them into their luggage, thinking that the faucets themselves magically created the vast amounts of water. When they told Lawrence what they had done, he laughed and explained that the faucets were useless unless connected to the pipes, which in turn were connected to the source of water. Girls, many Christians are just like these Arabs. We're attempting to create spiritual results with fixtures, and there's not a wonderful connection. Why has the connection been broken? Well, we have to quit here because I want to leave with something else. Sin in our life, sin, abiding sin. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. I've just lost my source of power. And in 10 minutes, I'm going to deal with a person who desperately needs to see my light, and it's not going to be there. So keeping that short account in my moments of, Father, forgive me, what do you do when a wrong thought hits your head? What do you do? That's what we're supposed to do, cast it out. And then what do you do? Replace it. Replace it. It's that, it's that ongoing. Now, th this, is a, this is an exercise that has to be learned and has to be put into process over and over. It's the thing that saves my light. But if I just stay content to let it stay in my head, you know what I do? I start building on it. I start enforcing it, and that puts out my light. But oh, I had something I wanted to say to you. And it left me. We are called to be light. How can I penetrate the darkness today? That's, that's exciting. It's horrible to be hopeless. It's horrible not to have an answer. God says, I'm the God of all hope, and I'm giving you my answer. 
ye are the light, affect somebody with it. I put on your seats a little sheet to Friend Sunday next Sunday. One of the most important Sundays of our church. It takes faith to walk to your neighbors and say, I know I've invited you so many times, but this Sunday is so special. We're having a big Italian dinner right after church. Will you come for me? Will you come? I know it will bless your heart. Do it. Do it. It takes, it takes your faith geared and engaged to talk to the waitress, to talk to the gas station attendant, to talk to the hairdresser, to talk to um, the people you run into at Meyer to say, say, can I invite you to Sunday school? Say, can I give you this? It's, it's about God's love. We all need more of God's love. I have a generic, nobody, nobody has ever given me my, gotten mad at me or given me my pamphlet back when I say, you know what, and I love those have a happy day tracks that we have out there. I hand that out and I say, this is all about God's love. Don't we all need a lot more of that? Well, of course we do. You just, you cannot deny that. And then as the Lord opens up the door, you can go the step further. If he doesn't, you have left the gospel light in her hands, in his hands. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Do something to invade your darkness. If darkness is breaking your heart the way it's breaking mine, do something. You say, well, what can I do? Do anything. We're going to talk about ways we invade our darkness next, next time we meet. But that's also with a really important lesson that I've been writing. But let me give you this last true illustration that I just love about it's not the size of what we do. It's just beginning to do it. Pilot Fox, during World War II, piloted a B-17. On one mission, he sustained flak from the Nazi anti-aircraft guns, and even though his gas tanks were hit, the plane did not explode, and Fox was able to land the plane. On the following morning, Fox asked his crew chief for the German shell. He wanted to keep it as a souvenir of his incredible good fortune. The crew chief explained that not one but 11 shells had been found in the gas tanks, none of which had exploded. Technicians opened the missiles and found them void of explosive charge. They were clean and harmless with one exception, empty. The exception contained a carefully rolled piece of paper, and on it a message had been scrawled in the Czech's language. Translated, the note read, This is all we can do for you now. A courageous assembly line worker was disarming bombs and scribbled the note. He couldn't end the war, but he could save one plane. He couldn't do everything, but he could do something, so he did it. Now, girls, this is our mission. Do something with the light that is inside of you today and tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday because the consequences are eternal. Father, make us to be that bright light that is so needed in today's darkness. Make us salt. Father, help us even this afternoon in our homes to be that salt and light, to be that encourager. Father, so many of us live with pain or with hurt or with disappointment. They become the theme of our home life. God, may we see that as the sin that it is. And may we choose to add the ingredients of your patience and your goodness and your laughter and your joy.
especially in our home, may we convince, oh, taste and see that the Lord, you are so good. In Jesus' name, amen.